0: if you got your Bible, you can turn to Numbers chapter 13. Um, it'll, uh, we, we are not in a series right now. We just finished up our series through 1 and 2 Peter um, called Foreigners, and we look to begin a new series here soon. Um, but I don't think I've ever preached this passage. We went through it in a devotion um, during 2020 when we were shut down and having to meet on Zoom and meet online. Uh, but I've never, I, I, that I recall, have preached out of this. But we'll be in Numbers 13 and 14. Um, if you've been around Church, grown up in church, the passage um, will be very familiar to you. Um, and uh, this um, experience by the Israelites, but we're going to look at it more in depth today. Um, if you have your UVersion Bible app, I'm in the CSB. It'll be in the outline we provided you as well on the screen, but that'll be Numbers 13 um, and 14. It's a lot of scripture. We're not reading every verse. So uh, just give you a heads up there because you're looking at that going, wow. Um, are we going to be here till two o'clock? No, just 1:30. So no. <laughs> well, fear is a powerful human emotion. Um, Fear is not necessarily a bad thing or a sinful thing. Um, It can actually be very useful when it helps to kind of heighten our senses to the situation and to the environments that we're in um, to to maybe help us to be more alert or to help us pay more attention or to take caution on things. Um, but, But it can be a good thing when it helps us to be alert to what's taking place around us. But fear can also be harmful, especially when um, it's irrational. Um, And I know over the last several years, we've seen a lot of irrational fear um, that drives people, that kind of paralyzes them, Um, because that irrational fear, or just fear in general, if we allow it to, can cripple us and it can paralyze us from living the life that God desires for us and designed us to live. Um, Some of that is in a general sense. Um, There's things all through Scripture that He calls us to that He wants for us, but also that could be more in a specific sense, something that He's leading you to individually, specifically for your life, that you can be crippled and paralyzed, held back from because of fear. Some people fear spiders. Um, I fear poisonous spiders. I'm not afraid to say that. I do not want to be bit by a brown recluse or a black widow. If you've ever seen the results of those things, you would be fearful too. Um, I've had to go into some crawl spaces, and I I cover every amount of skin that I can, um, which means that if they get into that, they're going to get trapped. And so I don't know if that's a good strategy or not. Some people fear heights, some people fear um, change, Um, some people fear not being in control, Um, not having control of your life. I mean, you could go through a number of things, even Google, just Google crazy things people are fearful of, and people are fearful of even uh, some some weird things. Um, There's a multitude of things that we can fear, and those fears can benefit us or they can harm us. And so today, through the Israelites, um, we're going to see just how damaging fear can be to our lives. Um, We're going to look to the Israelites, and we're going to look to an event that they went through, an experience that they had, and we're not really going to just kind of write ourselves into that, but we're going to learn from them and learn From what they experienced and how they reacted to that experience. And so, beginning in verse one, going to verse three to begin with, it says this in the scripture The Lord spoke to Moses, send men to scout out the land of Canaan. I am giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the Lord's command all the men were leaders in Israel. So we're starting off really good in this passage because the Lord has spoken. I mean, it's a good thing to always listen to the Lord when he's spoken. He speaks through his spirit. He speaks through his word. And in this moment, it was a different kind of methodology of what we have today. And so he verbally speaks to Moses and he gives him instructions. And so far, Moses does everything that the Lord has commanded. So we're on a good track here. And you can write this down. A person's perspective most often determines their direction. A person's perspective most often determines their direction. That's the overall truth that I want to guide us today through this scripture. A person's perspective most often determines their direction. Just like any other emotion, fear has an effect on our perspective, and our perspective often determines our direction. Your perspective will determine your direction in your life. If you um, are crippled by fear of heights, chances are you are not going to make a career out of being a mountain climbing tour guide. Like, you know, if if you are fearful of something, you're probably going to avoid that when it comes to your career, when it comes to your hobbies, because one, you don't have to do those things, but two, you're fearful of those things. And so it's going to change your perspective. I could fall off this mountain. I could get bit by a spider. I could, whatever it might be. And you're going to, you're going to, your fear can change your perspective and your perspective will change the direction of your life. Well, Here we see in Scripture that God had promised to give the Israelites this land of Canaan. And so this is the promised land. If you've ever heard that terminology, this is the land promised to them. They they didn't have to do anything for it. They didn't have to pay for it. They didn't have to ask for it. This is the land that God had told them, this is your land. I'm giving this to you. All the Israelites had to do in this moment was go scout out the land, and I don't know. We, the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not they were going to come up with a military plan from that, um, or if God was using this maybe to test them. We we don't know. But but all they were told in this moment is go scout out the land, and get a report, and then trust God to defeat their enemies. At the end of the day, that's all that it would have required. And we can look fast forward forty years into the future. And we can see that's all they had to do was trust God to win their battles for them, trust God to give them the victory. But in this moment, all they're told to do is to go scout out the land and bring back a report. And you'll see this in just a moment. And so God had Moses select 12 men um, to go scope this out. Maybe you've heard it, you know, the 12 spies, Well, well, these weren't just any men who were sent to scope out the land and and to get a report. These were tribal leaders, and this is what's very important. These weren't just common men that they chose. These were men that had influence over the people. These men were tribal leaders, and so they each came from one of the 12 tribes. And so that's kind of, we know that terminology even today, your tribe of people. The, the people you hang out with, the people you do life with. So, so these, each of these tribes are going to look to their leader and listen to them. They're going to be a voice of influence to them. So these weren't just spies, and these weren't just people that, that were hand you know just, just kind of randomly chosen through a lottery or through a draft. These were hand-selected because they were leaders of the tribes. Verse 17 to 20 goes on and says, When Moses sent them to scout out... The land of Canaan, he told them, Go up this way to the Negev, then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Are the cities they live in encampments or fortifications? Is the land fertile or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous, bring back some fruit from the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Now, this is very in, interesting because this land's already been promised to them. So I don't know if he's just doing this for their benefit or for a military strategy or the Bible really doesn't say but, but as you read this, you're like, this is already given to them. So maybe Moses is just trying to see, like, is this a trailer park? Is this like, I mean, is this like the desert land? I mean, is it full of mansions? Or are they living behind, um, you know, fortified, you know, bunkers? Uh, is, is, is it producing fruit? Like, what is happening in this land? I don't know if Moses even knew, but this is the report he wants them to get. Like Like, what is this land like? What is this territory like? What is the people like? And so Moses gives them these specific instructions for what he wants from the report, but then he tells them this, be courageous. Bring back some fruit from the land. There's just one problem. This land is home of the giants, not the San Francisco giants, Jonathan, or the New York giants. No, these were the giants, like giant human beings. There were other enemies in this land as well, but the Nephilim were there as well. It would be very terrifying. And so Moses tells them to be courageous. You're going in the land of your enemy. You're going in the land of the giants, but also he wants them to go to the local um, farmer's market and shoplift. He says, I want you to bring back some grapes because this is the season for the first produce. And so I want you to bring those back as well, but I want you to do this in the land of the giants. And so this assignment would serve as a test for these leaders. Would they be paralyzed by fear? Like if you were being told to go into the land of the giants and to, to steal from them, to, to, to take some fruit from them, to, to go and scope out their land, to go and get a report because you're about to go into this land to conquer it. So so you're an invading um, force. and and it goes through and it talks about the different uh, groups that lived there. They were all enemies of Israel. If you're told to do that, if you're told to go into a foreign land today, a land that that we have conflict with, would you be fearful? Would you fear for your life? Some of you have done that in the military, and I'm sure there was a bit of fear. There was a bit of um, apprehension at times. The difference is you might have stepped through that fear and and, and fulfilled your duty and responsibility. But, But that, I imagine there was fear in this. And so there's a test. Would they be crippled or paralyzed by that fear? Or would they step out and have faith and lead with courage? Because he told them, be courageous. In the face of giants, be courageous. In the face of your enemy, be courageous and trust the Lord. And so in verse 23 to 25, it goes on and it says... When they came to Eskel Valley, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, which was carried on a pole by two men. They also took some pomegranates and figs. That place was called Eskel Valley because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from scouting out the land. And so the leaders do as they're told, and once again, we're on a good track. The the Lord has spoken, the Lord has given a command, and they obey, and they fulfill that which they are called to do. So for 40 days, they've been deployed into this land, they are um, scouting things out, they're getting a report, they've successfully smuggled a cluster of grapes, and even pomegranates and figs. But don't miss this, because oftentimes we can read over things in the Bible and we miss things. Don't miss this, though. This is the land of the giants, remember? Remember? They cut down a branch, the Bible says, with a single cluster of grapes, which was carried on a pole by two men. The, 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 the cluster of grapes was so massive that it took two men on a pole to carry them. I googled just for, you know, I was thinking about putting an image up, um, you know, uh, the, the world's largest cluster of grapes. And, and there was one that would stand taller than a man and I'm sure it's been modified and things like that to to, to do that in today's time. But you got to think, this is the land of the giants. It took two men with a pole to carry out grapes, probably the size of softballs. I don't know how big they were, but they were massive. They were big. And so why be courageous? You've got to smuggle that out of an enemy land. like like You've got to kind of go in covert You've got to go into the enemy land, and you've got to smuggle that out when it takes two men to carry it. Be courageous. So here is a test. You're going into this land. It could be a very fearful thing. Are you going to walk by faith, or are you going to walk by fear? Are you going to be courageous, or are you going to be crippled? And so verse 26 to 29 goes on and says, the men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, They brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruit. However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of Negev. The Heathites, Jebusites, and Amorites, all their enemies live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea along the Jordan. And so here the, the leaders, these men, return to give their report that they have the fruit, and they confirmed everything that God had essentially promised them. This is the land that flows with milk and honey, this is a land of great produce. This, this is a fertile land. This is the land that God has promised us. And they confirmed everything that He had said about the land, but they immediately cast doubt on their ability to take possession of it. They, they immediately, it's like, it's awesome. It's everything God said it is. God is faithful. He keeps His promises. He's not lying to us, but it's not achievable. It's, eh, probably not going to happen. We all are probably familiar with this kind of conflict. This is a human conflict. This is, this is a humanity-type conflict. I want to be generous, but with this economy, I can't. I want to get healthier, but I can't commit to do what it requires me to do. I want God to do something new in my life and in my family, but I can't change my traditions or leave my comfort zone. I, I can't do what it would take. There's that conflict. There's that tension about what I want to do and what I believe I can do. And that's what's happening here with the Israelites. They 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 see that the land is amazing, that it's everything that God has promised them to do. But then there's that tension and there's that conflict of, but chances are we can't possess it. The people are strong. The There's giants. The, the, it's well fortified. We're up against something that we can't accomplish. You can write this down. It's not in your outline or on the screen, but it's something I thought about after I put that together. And it's simply this, fear becomes an asset when it makes you trust God. Fear becomes an asset when it makes you trust God. Uh, Something I just thought about when I was reading through this passage, just thinking about humanity and and how we all are. Um, They just spent 40 days in this land God protected them and they successfully got through the land. They smuggled the grapes out. They smuggled the pomegranate and the figs out. God gave them success in what he originally told them to do. And you would think that would build faith enough for them to go, hey, we can do this. God protected us and God spared us and God got us through the land over the last 40 days. You know, He's shown me that he is trustworthy and he's shown me that I can trust him and rely on him. But they didn't. They come back and they go, yep, the land is everything he promised it would be and he said it would be, but we're outmatched. But see, fear becomes an asset when it makes you trust God. Fear doesn't have to paralyze you. Some of you are paralyzed by fear. Th- these leaders were paralyzed by fear. Fear can be an asset to you when you realize you can't accomplish it on your own. Fear is an asset when it pushes you and makes you rely on God because He can do it for you. I am powerless, but God is powerful. I don't have the ability, but God does have the ability. I don't have the resources, but God does have the resources. I don't have the wisdom, but God does have the wisdom. What great asset fear could have been for these leaders had they come back and had they realized, we are powerless, but we serve a God who is powerful. We don't have the ability, but we serve a God that does have the ability. And so fear is not always a negative thing, and it doesn't always lead to negative consequences, especially when it pushes us to rely on and to lean on the sovereignty of God, that He is fully in control, that He is fully wise, that He is fully powerful that there is nothing that he cannot do. See, if we want something new from God, we might need to change our perspective about God in order to move in the same direction as him. This was God's plan. This was his promise. All it required of them was to have a proper perspective of God, that he is sovereign, that he is powerful, that he he rules and reigns, that that they didn't have to defeat the enemy. He would defeat the enemy for them. And God desired this new land for them, this new experience for them, this new provision for them. And all they needed in order to move in that direction was a proper perspective of God because our perspective determines the direction of our life most often times. See, your perspective about God will either move you towards the things that He desires for you, or it will push you further away. Can you trust God? If your perspective is that you can't, it's going to push you further away. If you've Uh, have a perspective that you can trust God, that you can rely on God, it'll pull you closer. It'll pull you more in the direction of where he's leading you, where he's wanting you to go. Your perspective about God will either draw you closer to him or it will push you away. Look at verse 30 through 33. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. To ourselves we seem like grasshoppers and we must have seemed the same to them. Caleb gives one of those powerful movie-esque type speeches, wartime speeches like you see in Braveheart. The, the kind of speech that um, you, would make you want to run through a wall to go conquer your enemy. Uh, you know, one of those type speeches. Like he's, he's on go. He's ready. He, he has a positive and faith-filled perspective. He says, we can certainly conquer it. He's ready to take in possession that which is rightfully there. Caleb's faith determined his perspective about God, which in turn decided for him the direction that he would go, the direction that his life would go. Let's go conquer it. Let's go take the land now. Let's not wait. Let's not delay. God has promised this land to us. He was full of faith. He was ready to go war, to war with the giants, but 10 of the other leaders, they were crippled by fear they speak up. And the scripture says they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. They negatively persuaded the people not to take the land. See, I learned something in middle school and high school. If you take down the biggest guy in the school or in the class, no one else bothers you. So so if you're going to fight or if you're going to wrestle around just like guys do, go for the biggest guy. Because if you can take the biggest guy, then chances are everybody else is going to kind of have respect and y'all don't want to mess with Nick. Did you see who he took down? Well, well, that was Caleb. That was Caleb. Caleb was ready to go against the giants, the, the big boys. He didn't care how big they were, he didn't care that they looked like grasshoppers among them, he didn't care that the inhabitants were consumed by the land. He didn't care about those things. But then the ten they were consumed by that. They were crippled by that. They were crippled by the fear. And so they persuaded the people not to take the land. And here's something important to learn from that, because these are leaders. The voices of influence in your life matters. The voices of influence in your life matters. See, I don't know that it was any mistake that God chose the leaders because those are the ones that have the influence with the people. He wanted them to go see all of the produce of the land, that it was everything that he promised. He wanted them to bring back evidence of his provision to them in the fruit, to show them just what awaited them. He was doing everything he could to build their faith, to to build their faith in him, to show them what lied ahead of them. And it didn't matter what he proved to them and what he showed them. Even in this moment, they go into the land and these influencers, these leaders are the ones that came back and persuaded the people and the same can be uh, learned from, uh, for us in this moment that the voices that we listen to, the voices that we give influence in our life matter because they will influence us and they will help change and, and create our perspective of life. See, the Israelites face the same choices we face today. We can focus on our problems or we can focus on God's promises. See, we all have problems. We all struggle. We all have suffering. We all have difficulties. And in that moment, it can change our perspective and it can redirect our focus and we can focus on those things. Uh, And, you know, I'm sure you've heard the saying, if you've been around church or Christianity for any amount of time, you know, don't focus on the size of your problems, focus on the size of your God. And though that might be cliche, it's true. You have the choice in your life to focus on the thing that will um, corrupt your perspective, and that is your problem. That is your suffering. That is your difficulty. That is the struggle that you face on a daily basis, and it will change your perspective, and that perspective will determine the direction of your life Or you can focus on the promises of God that he is always with you and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. That the suffering that we face here on earth is nothing compared to the glory of the heavenly home that we will be in for eternity. That that he is sovereign and he is in control. As Psalms tells us, that he is in the heavens and he sits on his throne and he does as he pleases. And so there is nothing that catches him off guard. There's nothing that he um, is surprised by. And so when we, his children, and when we, his followers, go through difficulties, and we go through the valley, and we struggle and we suffer, we can be assured that he has our best interests at heart. Because though it is quoted over and over and over again, the Bible tells us that All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That is a promise. And so we can focus on the promise or we can focus on the problem. We have the same choice. And these 10 leaders focused on the problem. Caleb focused on the promise. We can also see the opposition in front of us or we can see the opportunities. Yes, there's opposition. Yes, there's difficulty. But what are the opportunities through the opposition. What are the opportunities for people to see a powerful, amazing God at work in my life through the struggle, through the difficulty? Yes, there's opposition. I can focus on that opposition and be paralyzed and crippled by fear, or I can say there is great opportunity in this and through this, and I'm going to step into whatever God has in front of me, and whatever he's allowed in front of me, that is called his sovereignty. His sovereignty means he is completely in control. So whatever is in front of you, it is not by surprise. It is not by accident. He allowed it, and we then make the choice, do we allow it to cripple us and to paralyze us, or do we walk through it, do we continue moving forward knowing that it provides a great opportunity for our great God to get the glory? And it also worked for our good in shaping us to be more like Jesus. We are no different than the Israelites. We are the Israelites. We're just like them. Every one of us has to make a choice in our own life. What are you going to focus on? Because what you focus on will determine your perspective, and your perspective is going to determine the direction of your life. See, the ten leaders were crippled by fear because of their perspective. They saw this as the land of the giants Caleb and Joshua saw this as the land God promised. It was a totally different perspective. And because they saw this as the land that God promised, they were willing to go and take risks. And really, there was no risk. I'm walking with God, the God of the universe, the creator of the giants, the creator and producer of the grapes, the one who has full control of my enemy. I'm walking with him. There's no risk here. The risky move is to walk away from God. The risky move is to walk out of the will of God, to disobey God. That's called taking a risk. You want to know what true risk is? It's not walking with God, it's walking away from God. And so, just as a reminder, just because a majority of people do something or support something or believe something doesn't make it right or true or even of God. And we see this in this passage. We, We see Um, mob rule. We see in just a moment the, the uprising of the people. We see how all of a sudden the people who are following and walking after God and trying to obey Him became the minority out of God's own people. That can happen in the church. That can happen in Christianity. Just because someone claims to be Christian, just because someone's in the church, doesn't mean that they're going to walk faithfully after the things of God. These were His chosen people, and yet, They quickly became the minority. Look at chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. And I encourage you, go read these whole two chapters so that you get the full scope this week. Numbers 14, 1 through 4 says, Then the whole community broke into loud cries, and the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness... Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Whining, complaining, maybe a little bit of gnashing of teeth. Sounds very um, familiar even to some Christians today. Why? Because they didn't get their way. Do you you realize when it says that they wanted to return to Egypt, maybe you're not familiar with this passage, you're not familiar with the Israelites. Do you know, like, Egypt wasn't, you know, um, paradise. They were slaves in Egypt. They they were beaten. They they were fed well, and and, um, that's a passage I'm thinking about looking at next week, but, but they were fed well, why? To strengthen them for slavery, So so they were in bondage, and they're saying, hey, I want to go back to bondage. What changed their perspective? What if 12 of the leaders came back and said, hey, we can do this? Man, with God on our side, there's nothing we can't do. With God on our side, we've got victory. What would their perspective have been? But because 10 people, the majority came back and said, man, we can't do this. They're huge, and we're small. They're powerful, and we're weak. It changed the perspective of the people. And now they're saying things they don't even know. Now they're saying things that, that were not even uh, communicated. They're, they're, they're acting as if God's not even in the picture or even in control. He, he's, he's brought us into this land to die. He, he's brought us, uh, our wives and children will become plunder. Do you see the extreme that they've gone to because of the voices that they listen to? The the leaders who influence you matter. There were two voices trying to influence an entire community. One voice was based in faith. The other voice was based in crippling fear. The Israelites allowed their perspective about God's plan to be shaped by another person's fear and personal agenda. Every one of us can be there as well. Like, Like, has your faith kind of shifted or kind of crumbled because you've listened to someone else's perspective? You've listened to someone else's voice? You've listened to someone else's fear? Someone's fear that's based in their own personal agenda? These leaders were self-preservationists. All they cared about was themselves. They feared dying. They feared something bad happening to themselves. They they were self-centered. They were self-focused. And so all the other people listened to them. These people could have been led to faith and could have been led to great trust in God, and yet they listened to another person's perspective, another person's fear. And in the end, the reality is that not only did that determine the direction of their life, but it cost them dearly. It cost them a lot. It cost them more than they realized at the moment. It actually cost them much of what they feared would happen even in this moment. The people trusted the fears of these men instead of their faithful God. That They wanted to return to slavery in Egypt rather than trust the God who had delivered them from that very slavery in Egypt. How quickly they forgot that God parted the Red Sea to deliver them, that God had brought them out and what he did to Pharaoh to rescue them and to set them free from the chains of bondage. Yet now on the other end of this, they've so quickly forgotten that this God who shut Pharaoh down and who made him release them into freedom, now they think that he's brought, that God has brought them into this land to do them harm. And so they, they accuse God of injustices. He promised them blessing and they accused him of wanting to do them harm. And so in verse 5 to 10, I'm just paraphrasing this part You will see Moses and Aaron plead with the people to to, to trust that God's hand is on them, that they will be victorious, but the people then threaten to stone them. Mob rule. Essentially, you're going to do what I want you to do, or I'm going to stone you. That's the level their fear brought them to. As a pastor, I, I see this often. I see people demand their own way, or I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm. I'll leave the church. I'll. I'll quit giving. I'll quit serving. I. I. If you don't do this, why? Because there may be some fear. Maybe there's some self-centeredness that hey, I'm gonna have my way. If not, I'm gonna do this. And that's what Moses faced as the leader. You. You. You lead us into the land of Canaan. You put my family at harm. We'll stone you. And then we see God intervene. And God essentially says, look, um, I'll strike them with a plague. I will kill them. And Moses, I'll make you stronger, a stronger nation without them. And I love this, but Moses pleads with God to have mercy on the people as a leader, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband. What a great example of, of, of grace, of mercy, of, you know, I, I don't matter as much as the, the, the message of the gospel. I don't matter as much as what God wants to accomplish through my life, even if it's in my own suffering. Look at 18, the first part of 18 and then 19. This was what he says to the Lord. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love forgiving iniquity and rebellion. So Moses has now turned and he is a follower leading after God's own heart here. And he's reminding God, don't destroy the people. Yes, they're rebellion. Yes, they deserve it. But Lord, you are slow to anger. You are abounding in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion. And then verse 19, he says, please pardon the iniquity of this people in keeping with the greatness of your faithful love, not their greatness, not because they de- deserve it, because you are great, God, because your faithful love, because of who you are, because of your grace, because of your mercy, I'm pleading on their behalf because of you, because you are great, just as you have forgiven them from Egypt until now. You see, you have to see them from Egypt till, to, to, to now. It's one pattern after the other. It's one complaint after another. It's one fear after another. And yet God continuously forgives them. He continuously gives them mercy. And that's one thing we can learn about God through the Israelites, is the depth of the mercy of God in our own lives. That when we are paralyzed and crippled by fear, that He still gives mercy that when we do go our own way, and we do demand our own way, how much mercy He is willing to pour out on our lives. Not because we are great, not because we deserve it, because He is great, and He is worthy, and His great love. And so this moment is a test of Moses's heart as a leader, the people who just threatened to stone him, but now he asked God to forgive them And then verse 36 to 38 says, So the men Moses sent to scout out the land and who returned and incited the entire community to complain about him by spreading a negative report about the land. Those men who spread the negative report about the land were struck down by the Lord. Only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunim, remained alive of those men who went to scout out the land. You can write this down. It's impossible to please God without faith. We're about to close. It's impossible to please God without faith. God was angry that the people lacked trust and faith in him, but he pardoned them and he spared their life. See, what you need to understand is fear will rob you of God's greatest blessings in your life. I'm not just talking about salvation. I'm talking about beyond salvation. From walking in the pathway that he desires for your life, fear will cripple you and paralyze you and keep you from experiencing that blessing and that peace that he wants to pour out on your life through his mercy because he is a good, loving God. Fear will keep you from that. This entire generation would never enter, that he spared their life, yes, except for the leaders because leaders are held to a greater accountability. And so he held the leaders to a greater accountability because he relied on them to build the people up in faith. He relied on them to lead them in obedience to follow after him. And so he spares the life of the people, but they would never enter the promised land. So he, he was merciful to them. He gave them their life, but they would never experience the fullness of his blessings in the promised land. May we never do the same, May we never just be saved. Because he says he wants to give us life to the full, abundant life. He he doesn't want to just save you. He wants you to live an abundant life. He wants you to experience the goodness of who he is. He, He wants you to experience his blessings. He wants you to walk in peace and contentment and satisfaction with him. May we not be crippled by fear to where we are robbed of the greater blessings. Because as we see with the Israelites, fear had grave consequences. Fear is an asset when it pushes you towards leaning on God. Fear is an asset when you go, I can't, but he can. Fear is an asset when you go, yes, there's opposition, but there's also opportunity for God to get the glory. Fear is an asset when you see in front of you the problem but you recognize that you serve a God of great promise. Faith pushes through fear and obeys God regardless. What can you learn today from the Israelites? What can we learn? I wonder today, is there any area of your life being held hostage, crippled, being held back from fully following Jesus because of some type of fear? I encourage you today, trust in God's sovereignty. Walk in obedience. Step through the fear. Walk in faith. Don't be held back from the problem. Step into the promise. Don't just be frozen by the opposition, but see the opportunity. It's not about you, but it's about the glory of God. So as I pray, I encourage you, is there something being held hostage in your life, is there something specifically in your life that you just, man, you've been wrestling with? And, and you just feel like, man, this is what God's leading me to do. Maybe it's something with ministry. Maybe it's something in your own personal life uh, of, of full, kind of living out your Christianity. Whatever it is, it, whatever that thing is that's holding you hostage or holding you back because of fear, maybe today your next step, that conversation you have with God is God, give me the faith that I need to step through that fear and to walk in obedience no matter what it looks like on the other side, no matter what the opposition in front of me, no matter what the problem in front of me. Give me the faith to keep walking, to keep being obedient. Let us all today learn from the Israelites because we're all human. We all have the ability to walk and to, well, to be paralyzed by fear and to not walk forward. But we also, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have the ability to walk forward in faith. May we do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story. And really, this uh, wasn't just a story. It actually happened. And I thank you for those who have come before us even thousands of years ago, but yet we have it recorded in Scripture to teach us, Lord, the, the, the path that we can take and the path that, Lord, the the choices that we have. And Lord, we can see the consequences, but also we can see the blessings. We can keep studying through Scripture and we can see 40 years later, Caleb and Joshua got to go into the promised land. They got to see their faith fulfilled. Sure, they they suffered a while because of the the faithlessness and the fear of the people. But Father, you allowed them to experience the full blessings that you had promised to them. I thank you that you are a God of promise. I thank you, Father, that you are a God that we can trust and we can rely on. I thank you that you are a God that is going to get the glory, whether we give it to you or not, in one way or another. And so, Father, we have the opportunity to live for your glory, regardless of what lies in front of us, regardless of if it makes logical sense to us or not. Some people today are being held back by fear. They're held hostage to their fears, Father, and I pray that today that they can look to the life and the choices of the Israelites and they can make a better choice. They can choose to have faith. They can choose to step into the pain. They can choose to walk with you and to trust you and to experience the fullness of the blessings that you have planned for them. That they don't have to be paralyzed by fear, but that fear can be an asset to them. And so today, In each of our lives, if there's some sort of fear in front of us, may we see it as an opportunity to lean into you rather than to be pushed away from you. Father, maybe that fear is giving their whole life over to you, maybe in salvation or maybe in just obedience. If that's the case, I ask that the Holy Spirit would speak now. Draw them to yourself. May they give their whole heart, their whole life to you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.